kind of a long psalm, so we are just going to take a few weeks to get through it. We're not going to look at too many verses tonight, but we got plenty to talk about. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Once we get through with this psalm, we're going to we'll move on to something else here in a few weeks, but we're going to we're going to wrap this up. This is a good stopping place for us to take a break from the psalms. All right, let's pray and then we'll get started. God, we come to you tonight, and I pray that every word that is read and spoken tonight will be for your glory. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us to teach us something from your word tonight, that we would grow in it, that we would learn something, dear Lord. I pray that just being in your house would be a time of refreshing for us tonight, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 89. We see in the superscription that this is a mascal of Ethan the Ezraite. Now, this is a new name that I don't think we've seen up to this point in the book of Psalms, if I'm not mistaken. Ethan the Ezraite. Now, who is that? Well, we see some references to Ethan in the Old Testament. I believe on three occasions. We'll look at a couple of them tonight. But one of those is found in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31. Now, in, in the context here, it's talking about Solomon's wisdom. And what it says about Solomon's wisdom is that he was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, sons of Mahol. His reputation ex extended to all the surrounding nations. So we don't know much about Ethan there. However, it appears as though he was somebody who was wise. This was in comparison to Solomon. Hey, if Ethan was wise, Solomon's even wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. Now, we see another Ethan mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. Then David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their relatives as singers and to have them raise their voices with joy accompanied by musical instruments, harps, lyres, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, from his relatives, Asaph from Berechiah, and from their relatives, the Merorites, uh, Ethan, son of Keshiah. So here we see another Ethan, but he's not mentioned as Ethan the Ezraite. Now this could be two different Ethans, or this could be the same Ethan. After all, we see some similar names here. We see Heman mentioned here in this passage too. Now, obviously, when we look at the Psalms, these were songs that were to be sung, and, and sometimes we see this idea in these superscriptions now, if Ezra here is, is part of the ones that David is mentioning that's supposed to lead in song and play these instruments, perhaps this is the one that wrote this. Perhaps these are two different Ethans, that is the one who was wise compared to Solomon and, and then the one who was playing these instruments. Perhaps this is two different Ethans. Perhaps this is uh, the same Ethan. It's hard to know. And so you can, you can uh, research that more if you'd like to. So we don't know much about Ethan the Ezraite other than kind of this, this main reference that we see here in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31. But Ethan is the one who is attributed with writing uh, this psalm that we're looking at tonight. And the psalm starts out with a word of praise. Praising God for his covenant that he made with David, for just the strength of God, for being with his people and delivering his people. 
But then when we get to the last part of the psalm, there appears to be some trouble going on. Okay, God, you're good. You made a covenant with your people. You've sown your strength uh, in the past, but God, now things are not looking good. So where are you at, God? Are you going to come to our aid? And, and there seems to be this, this plea and this call for help as the psalm kind of unfolds for us as we go through it. But at the beginning of the psalm, what we'll look at tonight in the first four verses is that Ethan is focusing on the Davidic covenant. Verse 1 says, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth, for I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. Now, this starts out as praise. God, I praise you and I will praise you forever for who you are. God, you are good. We see that type of language Often when we look at the Psalms, there's a lot of praise. There's a lot of crying out for help, a lot of saying, God, I need you. God, where are you? God, I'm coming to you. God, I'm calling out to you. God, hear my prayers. But we also see a lot of praise in the Psalms. Sometimes you see both of them in the same Psalm. And here as this Psalm starts out, we see a man who is praising God, who is calling out to God. Why? Because God is faithful. God is good. And so Ethan says, hey, I'm going to praise you, God, forever. Even though by the time we're going to get to the end of the psalm, he's going to kind of be saying, okay, God, where are you? What's going on? He's not doubting God. He's not giving up on God. This is a man who knows God, who loves God, and who is praising God. <clears throat> Verse 3, the Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Now, there are lots of covenants that we see throughout the Old Testament. Uh, possibly the first covenant, I say possibly, it's, it's, it's not certain if it's a covenant or not, it's not agreed upon, would be the Edemic covenant that God made with Adam. It may or may not be a covenant based on the events that took place and the animal skin that was put on them, a sacrifice that was made. Possibly that was the first covenant could be debated. Then we see the covenant with Noah, that God made a covenant with Noah, that he put the rainbow in the sky, that he's not going to flood the earth again. We see the Abrahamic covenant. And then there are several covenants we see in the Old Testament. But a prominent uh, covenant that we see and also see alluded to and referenced in the New Testament is the Davidic covenant. Because when David came onto the scene in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to go back and read that this week, David said, look, I'm living in this great house. I'm, I'm doing well. God's been good to me, but God is still dwelling in a tent. Now, at this time, there was the tabernacle that we see in the Old Testament. That was a tent that God's people would have to, they took it with them everywhere they went as they went through the wilderness and eventually they made it to Jerusalem and, and the tent, they put it up and it had to be put up in specific ways and, and God had it all laid out for them and this is where the Ark of the Covenant was and this is where God would dwell with the people. And David said, look, I got a house made out of cedars and God's still in a tent so I want to build God a house. That's what David said in 2 Samuel 7. And Nathan, the prophet, said, okay, well, that's good. Well, after Nathan said that, God came to him and said, hold up. David's not going to be the one who's going to build a house for me. Now, ultimately, it was going to be Solomon who was going to build the temple. We're going to move from this tent to a, a sure enough, big, fine, nice building 
I mean, made made to to all the proper specifications with the best of the best materials and gold overlaying everything in there just about. And so Solomon was going to be tasked with the building of this temple. But but after David said, I want to build God a house, it's at this point that God says, look, David, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring forth a son from you and I'm going to establish your throne forever. Now, in the context of 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's talking partly about Solomon, the son of David, who would, who would come and who would build the temple. But it's also pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. It's, it's not a kingdom that's going to be established by Solomon forever. Solomon's going to come from the line of David. But ultimately, there's going to be one who's going to come from the line of David. And as we see sometimes in scriptures, referred to as the son of David, that is the descendant of David. There was going to be one who was going to be a descendant of David that was going to fulfill this covenant, this promise that God said, all right, David, I'm establishing your throne and it will be forever. This is the Davidic covenant that we're seeing referenced here in Psalm chapter 89. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, here's what it says. This is God speaking. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, it's talking about Solomon in some respect, but it's also pointing us forward to Jesus. And here in the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 89, what a beautiful thing it is for Ethan saying, okay, God, you have made a covenant. You have made a promise. And God, you are good. I know you stand by your covenants. And I praise you for what you have done through David and what you're going to do through David in establishing his kingdom. And so way back in the Old Testament, before Jesus ever came onto the scene, here's Ethan writing this praise because of this promise that God had made and Ethan is, is saying, look, God, I trust you because of your words and your promise. Now, let's fast forward into the future. Jesus comes on to the scene in the New Testament. And we see these, these references that, that, that aren't necessarily direct quotes to 2 Samuel chapter 7, but it's speaking of what's being said here. That is, the people of the New Testament understood and recognized that the Messiah was going to come from David. He was going to be a king who was going to sit on a throne who was going to come from the bloodline of David from the tribe of Judah. Now, you may remember Sunday we talked about the priest came from the tribes of the Levites. And in the New Testament in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says Jesus is our high priest. But wait a minute, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. Now, from the tribe of Judah would come the kings, like David, come from his family line. And so we see this idea in the New Testament of Jesus as king, who's coming from the line of David, and of Jesus as high priest, as we talked about Sunday. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about that connection and what that means and what that looks like as we go through the book of Hebrews. But but this that we're talking about tonight, we're talking about, we talked about the priestly side of Jesus, but now we're talking about Okay, here's Jesus as king. And so we see this idea of Jesus being from David, being a son of David in the New Testament 
on a few occasions. One of those is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, uh, at the birth of Jesus here. It says of Jesus, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And so, obviously, the people of Jesus' day, they were looking forward to a Messiah who was going to come from the bloodline of David, who was going to sit on the throne of David, who was going to be a king in the same way that David was a king. And even here, as Jesus' birth is announced, it says of him, look, he's going to be of his father David. That is to say, here's a hint for you. The one that God spoke of in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that was going to establish the throne forever, this one has come. This is Jesus. He is the one who has come. We see in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, it's interesting. Jesus is asking these Pharisees this question. Now, the Pharisees were very religious. They knew what we would call the Old Testament. They knew the books of the law and the prophets, and, and they knew about this Messiah who was to come. They knew about this king who was to come. And Jesus asked him a very simple question. Whose son is he? Where is he coming from? Who does he belong to? And they answered, David's, they told him. They answered right. They understood. They knew. They were looking forward to this Messiah, this king, who was going to come from the bloodline of David. And when Jesus asked him the question, hey, whose son is he? What, what line is he going to come from? They knew that it was going to be David's line, that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And then Jesus continued on. He asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can the Messiah be his son? Now, what Jesus is doing is here is he's referencing a psalm. I believe that's Psalm 110. I didn't write it down. I think that's what it is. Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, this is David pinning this, and what it appears that David is writing in this psalm is that he's seeing this, this conversation, this interaction between God and between Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord. You'll notice that one of those Lords in your Bible is going to be all, all caps, and the other one's just going to be uh, one cap at the beginning. It's, it's two different, it, it, both of the words are Lord in our, in our translation, but it's not the same Hebrew word. It's two different characters that's being spoken of here. So David says, the Lord says to my Lord. Way back when he wrote this psalm, he acknowledges this relationship between God and between Jesus. And so Jesus is asking him a question that's putting him on the spot. Well, wait a minute. If the Messiah is going to come from David... How can Jesus talk about the Messiah as already existing when he writes this psalm? Now, this would have been a head-scratcher for him. What Jesus was trying to get them to understand is, yes, the Messiah is going to come from David, but he also existed before David. He is greater than David. He doesn't just come from David. He created David. And so he's trying to help the audience understand the significance of, okay, yeah, this Messiah is coming from David, but he's, he's not just another earthly king. He's not just somebody from the right 
bloodline. Instead, he's somebody so much greater. He is a better king than David or any king that had come after David. Jesus existed before David, and he come in his earthly form. He came through the bloodline of David, and he asked him this question, and this certainly would have been a head-scratcher for him. And we see that in their response in verse 46. No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. This would have been a tough question. They knew the Messiah was coming from David, but they didn't really have an explanation as to how David could write about knowing of the Messiah in existence before the Messiah had come onto the scene. And so they just went on their way. They didn't bring that topic up anymore. They, they didn't have a good answer for Jesus. Now, we have a good answer because we see what David wrote in the Old Testament. We see Jesus' fulfillment of that in the New Testament, and we see that Jesus is that king that comes from the line of David. But in those days, either his audience just didn't want to see or they were blinded and didn't put the pieces together when maybe they should have. Maybe they should have been able to put some of those pieces together. But for whatever reason, his audience here was not able to do so. A couple of more references in the New Testament to the Davidic covenant. Acts chapter 13 verse 32 says, And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that we made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. That's, we're getting a lot of, we're seeing that a lot. In the book of Hebrews, you, you, you probably recognize that because he's done quoted from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 a lot. And what do we see here in, in Acts? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about him being resurrected. And what are we talking about? We're talking about this same Psalm, chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, you are my son, today I have become your father, since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay. He has spoken in this way, I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Now, what the writer is saying here in Acts is he's saying, look, okay, this is the fulfillment of what God said was going to happen. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The, the promises to David, the covenant to David, its fulfillment has come in Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Again, this is pointing us back to this promise, this covenant that God made in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And one last verse, Romans chapter 1 verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Again, we see this idea. Who is Jesus from in the flesh? He comes from David. So here, way back in the Old Testament in Psalm 89, we have Ethan, and he is praising God because of the covenant that he had made with David, because of God's goodness, because God had been gracious to David. You may remember Sunday we talked about the story where David sinned greatly. And he said, look, God, I cannot offer you a sin. There's no sin that I can offer. There was no, there was no, or excuse me, there is no sacrifice I can offer. 
David said that because there was no sacrifice to cover his sin that he had done. There, there was no sacrifice in the law that could atone for what David did. And that's why he said, God, if there was a sacrifice, I would offer it. But all I can offer you is a humble and broken heart, God, because that's all I have. And so God was gracious to David, the one that he had made the covenant to, and he had been with David. Not that David's life was easy after that. There was punishment and consequences that came from David's sin, but nonetheless, God had made the promise that through David, someone better was going to come. And in Psalm 89, Ethan praises that covenant. And here, all these years later, we see that covenant has come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we come and praise just the same. We praise what Ethan had hoped to see, what Ethan longed to see, that one who would sit on the throne of David. We have seen that lived out and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let us today, as Ethan did all those thousands of years ago, let us praise God for the covenant that he made with David that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and I pray that you would help us to uh, learn something when we read your word, that we can kind of piece these things together. God, your word is so good all throughout, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to, to put all these pieces together. And dear Lord, all these pieces... Point us to Jesus from the beginning to the end. Every last thing points us to Jesus. And I pray, God, that tonight your word has pointed us to Jesus. I pray that we would praise you in the same way that Ethan has, that we would acknowledge your faithfulness, that we would acknowledge your grace, that we would acknowledge your kindness, that we would acknowledge your love, and that we would acknowledge the promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, dear Lord, that we would live in those promises of hope and forgiveness and salvation through Jesus tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.